thanks for coming. And it's going to be a challenging subject, going to be an interesting subject. And um, oops, getting a real boom. So I know I'm down here on the floor, so you, he's got to deal with it. Hey, would uh, somebody close the back back door or close the front back door? Or close both of them, I don't care. <laughs> All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you for the night. We thank you for the word. We thank you for your spirit, Holy Spirit. Would you guide us and would you direct us? Would you give us direction in this most important subject so that we can not only hear something, but learn something and then apply it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, this is one of my favorite subjects. And uh, it's going to be interesting. So remember, if you've not been to an edge class, this is question and answer time. There's a mic over there, and you're going to get a chance to, to communicate with me about it. Let me get a, a pen or something to write with. And uh, tonight, what we're going to talk about is the matter of um, spiritual authority. Now, how many of you remember who said, lead, follow, or get out of the way? Remember, anybody remember? I said, Lee Iacocca. Lee Iacocca is the one that took Chrysler, turned it upside down, turned it loose, and it went wild. And it was failing. <clears throat> and basically what he said to the, the automotive industry, lead, follow, or get out of my way, because I'm going to change this company. And he basically did that with everybody that was involved. Because he understood authority, he understood, I don't know that he understood spiritual authority, but uh, we're going to talk about something that's really pretty controversial. And uh, so I'm not being controversial for the sake of just being controversial. But, you know, it's when we ask hard questions, um, it always, if we give it a chance, produces um, something that's valuable. Now, I'm going to say something right off the bat. You can comment about it later, okay? And uh, I'm not saying it just to be controversial, but to drive a point home that hopefully I can reveal to you later on. Submission and authority. We're going to talk about the dilemma of authority. And I want to say this about Susan. Um, Susan does not submit to me by my choice. I am, I, I, I know I'm going to get in trouble right here. You may get up and walk out after I say this. I am not her spiritual authority. I am her husband, hopefully continued best friend. She's really going to love me after this one. Um, but she submits to Jesus. I submit to Jesus, and we both go to Jesus on level ground. And I'm going to show you biblically something that you might consider down the road. And some of the brothers are already kind of like, uh, time, wait a minute. Doesn't the Bible say that the husband is in charge? Nope. No place. You can't find it. It doesn't exist. It's not there. It's been manufactured by religion that came out of the Jewish culture that put men at the top which was absolutely necessary under the Jewish culture because they didn't know grace and they didn't know God's authority and how it functions. 
So tonight, hopefully, without just trying to, you know, be controversial, that we can get us to the place where we can understand authority so we can understand how we address the authority of our nation, how we address what our nation seeks to do to us as citizens of the nation, and when do we draw a line in the sand and say, the government has gone too far, and we will not abide by those rules. That's very, very important, especially in the culture that we're in right now. So the dilemma of authority is the fact that you and I, and I'm just going to kind of randomly shoot here for a little bit, um, but you and I submit to the kingdom of God. And God's kingdom and God's authority is the primary authority. And we submit to that. So when you and I submit to the kingdom of God, not even our church has authority over us. Right? You understand that? In other words, you go to church by choice. And any church that tells you how you should live, what you should do, and how you do it in terms of your being accepted is completely out of line with the Scripture. That doesn't mean that the church doesn't have the right to say, listen, you need a moral and ethical life, and you, you, you need to live according to biblical standards. But if you understand how authority flows from the kingdom into the people of the kingdom of God, into the world, you will know why and at what point you will have to say to the government of man, line in the sand, don't cross it. Lead, follow, or get out of the way is what's taking place in the body of Christ right now in terms of leadership. Because right now, what's happening, those who are leaders in the body of Christ, and, uh, and I, I don't have anybody in mind, okay? So if you think of somebody, that's between you and God. But there are leaders in the body of Christ right now that have had huge amounts of responsibility and authority that are being dressed down right now. And they're not being dressed down in an open way. They're being dressed down by the kingdom of God because when time comes for you and I to stand up against the government of, of man, when it clashes with the government of the kingdom of God, all your human government won't mean a hill of beans. And all the people that have submitted to you without understanding true biblical authority, they're not going to submit to you anymore. They're not going to live by your shenanigans. And so in the process, David asked one of the most important questions in the Bible. David is an incredible example of biblical authority out of the Old Testament. And David uh, addressed the, the question of the elephant in the room because there's an elephant in the room in the body of Christ today. And that elephant in the room is, uh, is the authority of the church and the authority of the believer. What we're talking about in terms of how we address authority affects how you and I understand, understand our own spiritual authority. If we don't get this right, and I believe we will, most will, if we don't get this right, we'll never ever be able to stand up for our spiritual authority when evil steps forward and begins to command and order the church in America. Does that make sense? So I'm not telling you, I'm not saying who's evil in, uh, from the big house down. Okay, I'm not, 
I'm not identifying anybody as evil. But understand that if we get this right, spiritual authority will give us the capacity to stand in a place of authority and responsibility and face the future with courage and hope because others need you and I to do the right thing by the kingdom of God. So we have a dilemma of authority. And the dilemma of authority is the fact that the government of man and the government of God are now going to clash like maybe like never before. And uh, if that's the case, if you're born again, you really need to understand who you are and what your role is. And so as a woman and as a man, ladies, I'm going to tell you, you can do, uh, Susan said it a thousand times, ladies, you can do anything a man can do. Anything. And anybody who tells you that's not true, bring them to me and tell them bring their Bible when they come because I love to have a conversation with you. Because half of the authority in the body of Christ that we're going to need for the days that are ahead are the women. We need the women on board and we need them to understand that they are not supposed to be subservient. Marriage is a co-operation. And even if, ladies, if you're not married, you still have a certain amount of spiritual authority. And if it sounds like I have a chip on my, uh, on my back, you're right. I, I, I'm very, very concerned. And I, you know, I'm as serious as a heart attack tonight. I know you came going, oh, we're going to have a fun time. Yeah, we will. It'll get better before it, it's got to get worse first. And that is to understand what is getting ready to happen. Acts 5.29, Peter said this, and Then Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than man. That's Peter. Now listen to what he says, Acts 5.29. Uh, then Peter said, We ought to obey God rather than man. At what point do we stand up and say, We're going to do what the kingdom of God tells us to do, and we are ready to pay the price. Okay? It's really quiet. <laughs> okay? John 3.16. Listen, listen, you all know this verse. You all can quote it. For God so loved the what? There you go. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever would believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. Understanding the difference between perishing and having everlasting life is to understand the implications of what Jesus said there. For God so loved the what? World. That's the Greek word cosmos. And it literally means government. God so loved his government that he sent Jesus for his government in us. When you're born again, the, the seeds of the government of the kingdom of God are seated inside you. And that means you come with authority and responsibility to that government. So he says here, the early church called were, were called the people of the way. And when they were called the people of the way, they didn't call them Christians at the time. And it wasn't until, in, I think it was Antioch, that they first started becoming called Christians. And Antioch is where the first church, and they actually they met in a cave. And the word there, the people of the way, means the people with authority. And so in this understanding, the early church found itself in the dilemma of authority. 
confronting the government of man. And what was the price that the early church paid for saying to the government of man, no, you crossed the line? What would you say? With what? Lost their lives. Or their freedom. Or their capacity to own a business. Or educate their children. Or I think you get where we're going. Okay? Same place. We are so close to being back to where the New Testament church was in the New Testament. And so we have to understand how they lived their lives and what they understood to be authority. Listen to Acts 9, 1 through 2. Listen to what, what he says. Meanwhile, Saul was uttering threatens. Now remember, this is Paul. He's still Saul. And he's, he's killing Christians. Listen to me. Uttering threatenings uh, with every breath and was eager to kill the Lord's followers. Now listen to carefully. So he went, out to, he went to the high priest. He requested letters addressing the synagogue of Damascus, asking their co- cooperation in the arrest of the people of the followers of the way. Those are Christians. They were called followers of the way before uh, Christian was tagged onto them. Then he says he found there, he wanted to bring them, both men and women, back to Jerusalem in chains. And that's a sobering thought because that hasn't happened to us yet. But if you watch the chain of events and what's coming down the pike, you don't even have to pay, you don't even have to watch Fox News, which now is in trouble anyway, you know, for what they've done with Carlson, whether you agree with him or not. And I don't watch Fox News. She watches it. She memorizes it. And then I walk by her and she belches it on me, okay? (laughs) Right? Oh, I love you, sweetie. Okay. So um, they were called the people of the way. We are literally back in the New Testament. I mean, experientially, governmentally, uh, relationally, we're back in the New Testament. And so watch this, Acts 11.25. Then Barnabas went on to Sarsis to look for Saul. Barnabas goes looking for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him back to Antioch. Both of them stayed there with the church for a full year, teaching large crowds of people. It was at Antioch that the believers were first called Christians. So now what happens is Saul, who was the persecutor of the church, now gets saved. I'm telling you before God, you watch. There are going to be people in government that are going to start stepping out. And there are going to be people in government that are going to risk everything. There are Saul's in Congress. There are Saul's in the Senate. There are Saul's working in the White House, not in the Oval Office. Well, I don't know. There may be secretaries in there. And you watch what's going to begin to happen because when it happens, I'm going to lay down the chain of a command here in just a minute. When you watch, when that begins to take place, you're going to begin to see a move of God inside the churches in America that understand spiritual authority and that are no longer, I'm not, I better not go there. I want to get myself in trouble. Okay. So there's an elephant in the room. And the elephant in the room in most churches right now is, does anybody want to guess what it is? Raise your hand. Anybody, what's the elephant in the room in the churches in America? Wokeness. Anybody else? 
Who? Well, yeah, but we want non-believers because that's how we suck them into the kingdom. But that's okay. Politics. Politics are in the church in America right now. And I'm not against watching Fox News. And, and you know, you want to be a Democrat, you want to be a Republican, you want to be an independent. I happen to be an independent. I've resigned from another party, okay? Um, uh, but if you understand that what's beginning to take place, there's an elephant in the room, and the elephant in the room in the churches in America right now is this matter of what we're going to talk about tonight. And as I opened up with, and I said, Susan is my wife, and she does not submit to me. She submits to the Word of God, to the Lord Jesus Christ, and the Holy Ghost. And when it comes to our relationship, we are co-equal. And like I said at the beginning, you can't find any place in the Bible that puts the woman under the man. And if you do, I can prove you wrong. And if we want to talk about it later, we will. She knows it better than I do. Okay. <laughs> so um, Acts 5.29, then Peter and the other apostles answered and said, we ought to obey God rather than man. What I'm going to do is lay down the chain of command in your authority. And when you see that, you remember that verse. Don't you ever forget Acts 5.29. Listen to it again. Then Peter and the other apostles answered and said, who are they talking to? They are talking to the church. So this is to you. Watch what it says. We ought to obey God rather than man. Now, he doesn't say rebel against the government, okay? He's not talking about a revolt. He's not talking about a strong-arm overthrow. He's talking about people who said to the government, we will not do that. That's plain and simple. That's why, and I'm a, I'm a risk of misunderstanding that, when they, when they, in 2020, when they started closing, they closed down the churches. We were closed for two weeks. We closed it for two weeks. I actually started meeting in the parking lot. You see, you can't meet in the building. We met in the parking lot. And uh, we met in the parking lot and basically said, you can roll it, fold it, wrap it, and stick it in your ear. We are not going to not have church. We have been ordered by the kingdom of God to meet as a church on a regular basis. So we're going to do that. So we did it in the parking lot. And it said something to a lot of people that were a part of this church. What's surprising is half of this church got upset about it and never came back. And it happened in every church that stayed open. The good thing about it was we set speakers up in a parking lot and uh, we just blasted the houses around us with the word. We hit them with worship and, and matter of fact, on, on one, was it a night? Steve remembers everything. But we had one time where that we, we set up the worship and we're pumping the worship out in the parking lot and we caught the people all along the street here along Gerard sitting on their roofs going to church. I mean, they climbed up on their roof. And, and actually, I got a little spooked that first time because I looked out on the street and there were two sheriff's, two sheriff's department cars and a highway patrol sitting on the curb before the service. And I went out and I kind of said, hi guys, um, we're not inside, we're outside. And they said, oh no, no, that's okay. We heard you had speakers, so we thought we'd just pull over to the curb and we'd listen. We're going to go to church. Because there are people 
that even in authority need to see the church in her authority. Does that make sense? They need to see the church in her authority doing the right thing. So was that rebellion when they told us not to meet? It was rebellion on the government of man's side, but it wasn't rebellion on the side of the kingdom of God. Okay? So we'll tell you why we did that. So uh, Peter addressed the elephant in the room, and he said uh, there was a price for doing the right thing. So down the road, it may cost us, but we want, want you to be ready to stand tall no matter what they say or how they come at us, okay? So in the process of understanding this, Pastor Susan, uh, don't, and don't misinterpret what I've said to you about her authority. She has no less authority than I do. Now, I, I'm going to say something maybe a little, a, a little bit more difficult for my brothers. The more I let her be who she's called to be, the more I move in my authority. Oh, listen to what I just said. In other words, I don't get my authority from her, but I walk in my authority as I let her walk in her authority, and the two become one. Does that make sense? When we say it at a wedding ceremony, now the two are one. What is that talking about? It's talking about spiritual authority. And it's talking about how we live our lives in terms of the kingdom of God. So Romans 13, 1 through 2. Everyone must submit to government authorities. Listen to what he says now. For all authority comes from God. And those in positions of authority have been placed there by God. What? Are you telling me God put Larry, Moe, and Curly in the White House? Right? Watch. So anyone who rebels against authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and they will be punished. What? Don't stop there because he goes on to explain how the government should serve the people and not the other way around. In other words, we submit to the government as long as this government is serving the people. But when the government starts dominating the people and forcing the people to do things that are contrary to their conscience and biblical authority, you're not bound to, to do that. Does that make sense? Now, those are revolutionary terms. Those are words of war. Because you have an obligation to understand that just because the government tells you you're supposed to do it doesn't mean it falls in line with biblical authority. Now, I'm not telling you to revolt, or am I? That's for you to decide. Okay, so, so if you understand the NSA, the CIA, the FCC, the FBI, the uh, you know, BLM, whatever you want to call it, their authority stops when they come up against the authority of the kingdom of God. That's why I keep, that's why I teach you on Sunday morning, trying to say, and I know you're going to get so tired of this, you're going to get into eternity and then tell him, I don't want to live in Bob Street because he's going to talk about the, you're bigger on the inside than you are on the outside. But you understand, there's, there's a kingdom 
that was born in you and you serve a king and you are subjects of the king and when you speak and when you do, you're doing in his behalf. And any time you do anything that contradicts his kingdom and his authority, you're in rebellion to his government. That's incredible. That's so many Christians today. And I mean, all the time we all see it. They're, they, just, they, they just take it all lightly and they take, you know, they, they listen to the word, they read the word, they don't understand the clout and the authority the word has. And so in the process, I'm not trying to be rude. We want, we, but we, we have to understand that before this next move of God comes, you're going to watch Saul's get saved. Remember Saul? He was on the road to Remaeus. He's the guy killing the Christians, right? And why is he killing them? Because they won't do what the government told them to do. You realize he wouldn't, be, he wouldn't have been killing them and persecuting them. He wouldn't have ordered the stoning of Stephen if Stephen would have kept his mouth shut. Right? Okay. Uh, so I'm not trying to be rude here, but we want to understand Saul's authority. Saul becomes Paul, okay? And I, be- I honestly believe that, well, remember Saul's riding along on his donkey? Remember that? Was it a donkey? He's walking. I think he was in a Volvo, okay. I don't know. Uh, and boom, he gets blasted off his feet. And the Spirit of the Lord comes upon him, and he gets saved. If, if we, keep your eye out, because I, I, I personally believe, we're going to go through this thing of authority. Oh, would you unplug the clock, please? Um, when, um, is it really gone that fast? Okay. Um, well, I forgot what I was going to say. Stone Susan? <laughs> I thought you said stone Susan. No, no. Um, well, whatever I was going to say, it was good. Okay. Uh, so I'm not trying to be rude, but I, I do want us to understand that there's a place here when I'm going to put up on the board something that you need to write down in your Bible and you need to remind yourself because you're going to get to own this, okay? But uh, the elephant in the room is, uh, is the fact that I believe God's getting ready to blast some people off their donkey in the White House, in Congress, in the Senate, and you need to start praying that way. I personally believe, I'm not a prophet, I'm a pastor teacher, but I'm a prophesy. I personally believe that one of the things we have got to begin to intercede for is the people in, from the White House all the way down the ranks in the city government, local city government, that God begins to win the people over like he did Saul. Because I believe God's going to raise up an army for America from within the problem. Okay? Does that make sense? And if we do, if we understand that he's going to do that, then all the, all the agencies that are controlling us, they're not going to freak you out so much. And they're not going to worry you so much because you'll understand who you are in that chain of command. Okay? So get something to write on and something to write with. Okay? If you're willing. You don't have to. That's not a... Oh, yeah. That's a... Does anybody give me a copy of those notes? Thank you.
We got it. Here you go. You got it. Got one? Okay. Oh, good. Okay. Oh, the, Susan did this. Praise you, praise you, Susan. Give you all the glory. Praise you, praise you, Susan. Tell the untold story. Okay. Lead, follower, get it. Uh, what do we do when man's authority uh, conflicts with God's authority? Okay. What we want to do is talk about supreme authority. Who's supreme in, in authority? God, okay? God's supreme authority. And so in supreme authority, listen to Ephesians. This is, who you, this is how you, you're going to watch this chain of command filter down. I believe I'm not the only one teaching this subject right now. I believe you're going to hear others. I was going to do it on a Sunday morning, but I decided this would be the best way to go. Supreme authority. Supreme authority comes from uh, um, uh, supreme or imperial authority, okay? Um, and I, I put the word supreme, but it should be imperial. Imperial or supreme authority. Now, what is imperial or the supreme authority? Listen to Paul in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 21 through 23. Now, he is far above all, any rule or authority or power or leader or anything else not only in this world. Now watch what he's going to do. He's going to make a connection about where your authority comes from. Not only in this world, but in the world to come. God has put all things under the authority of Christ and has made him head over all things for the benefit of the church. Now listen to what he says. The, the authority of the government of, uh, of this world that you live in a government that is giving you authority, supreme authority, imperial authority. In other words, that means all authority comes from imperial authority, supreme authority. God is the supreme authority. When you become a born-again believer, you are plugged into imperial or supreme authority. And that means the authority that you carry overrides the government of man. Now, wait a minute. It's getting a little weird here. What do you mean? Because when you were born again, God set up his government on the inside of you. And he gave you his constitution. And as long as you live by the constitution, you're under imperial authority, and God's authority can't be questioned. When man's authority conflicts with God's authority, it, man's authority loses. So your first responsibility is when the government tells you to do something that is contrary to Scripture, you immediately draw on imperial authority. The kingdom of God was born in you when you were born again. And when the kingdom of God and the government of God was put in you, you've been given a responsibility to understand when the government of man conflicts with the government that was born inside you, you are not bound to do the government of man. It's getting quiet or quieter. Do you agree with that? You're going to have to make a decision because you understand that the government of this world, all human governments... Even democracies has a level of evil inside it by its nature. Any government on earth 
that is not under imperial authority is evil by nature, including democracy. Does you understand that? Now, I, I, hey, I, you know, swore an oath to defend, in, in a number of occasions, swore an oath to defend the Constitution of the United States. I will defend that Constitution until that Constitution violates imperial authority. Those are revolutionary words. And so understand that in that process, imperial authority means uh, a law, uh, um, a laws written by God. We, we surrender to those laws and we submit to those laws and that's supreme and it's unchallengeable. And so the government of this world, I'm going to say something hard. Susan, you square me out here. But the governments of this world by nature are evil because they're not in lust, they are in absolute alignment with the kingdom of God. And I can tell you, democracy cannot possibly cooperate with the kingdom of God because it gives you a vote. And as soon as you get to vote and choose who your leaders are, you're no longer under supreme authority. God decides Who's in charge? Well, how do we know who, who God has decided? You follow those that follow him. You don't follow those. How many people pick churches by the music? Or they pick the church by the building? Or whether it has a school? Or whatever the case is. It, I believe it's going to come to the point where we're going to begin to see churches collapse under the weight of the government, governmental authority. If they walk in the door tonight, take the keys to the facility, take possession of the joint, it's all theirs now, and we don't have anything to say with it. They have not changed the government of the kingdom of God. Because the government of the kingdom of God is so big, it can't fit on the property. It only fits right here. Are you with me? So, now, that's imperial authority. What's the second level of authority? That's voracious authority. Okay. Voracious is truth, the authority of truth. Whatever is not true has no authority. Whatever is true has authority. Okay? So, voracious authority is under the uh, supreme authority. So we know the voracious authority is right here, the Word of God. And we do what this says because this explains what? Somebody tell me, what does this explain? The government of imperial authority. You didn't know you were going to political science class, did you? Okay. All right? So in other words, this is the constitution of this government. And this constitution trumps any constitution man writes. Okay? So, voracious authority is the elephant in the room. The problem is, is that people don't know enough about the voracious authority, and they depend upon their pastors and the teachers and the church to teach them everything they know about their authority. I, I personally am convinced, persuaded, and convicted the reason most people don't study the Scriptures 
the way they could and the way they should is because they don't understand this. And if they understood, if they understood what they're reading, they're reading about themselves. That's why I said to you this morning, you know, you're going to go, John 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17, going to go all the way back to Genesis 1, 1, and all the way to Revelation 22, 21. All the way in the maps, if you want. So you understand, when you read about this, you're reading about your authority. And when you have authority, that means you have a responsibility. So that means we submit to uh, God's imperial authority, and then we, as believers, submit to the truth. Okay? You good with that? Hang on. We'll think up your questions, okay? Uh, John 17, 17. Sanctify them through the truth, Jesus said. Your word is truth. Okay? Now, um, the early church did nothing that was contrary to scriptures. The early church didn't do anything that was contrary. They, they, they built themselves not according to the laws of man, but according to the laws of the government. And so nothing they did was, that was contrary to the scriptures. The reason they had so much authority is they did what they knew the word said to do, and they weren't afraid to give their lives for that truth. So nothing that contradicts the Bible can be binding. You can't make me do anything that is not in the Bible. The government can walk in the door and say, this is what you're going to do, this is how you're going to live, this is where you're going to go, this is the way you're going to live your life, and this is what you're going to think. If you think AI, artificial intelligence, is just another one of those wacky things, it's their way of taking your authority. AI, do you know what, everybody know what AI is? Artificial intelligence? I mean, you, you watch it. It's already, it's been in motion for quite a while. We just haven't seen it. So we understand that it's all a ploy for our, uh, for our authority, okay? Because the, the world instinctively knows the, the world is run by the government of darkness. All human governments have a faction of darkness. Yes, I love America, swore my oath, love the Constitution, yada, 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 okay? But you understand that there's a point when that's going to conflict with us, okay? So nothing that contradicts scriptures can be binding. You tell me to do something and the Bible says don't do it, you can stick it in your ear. I'm not going to do it. That's it. All right? Now, what's the next authority? The authority of your conscience. I don't know if I spelled that right, but it's close enough. Okay. The authority of your conscience. How are we doing for time? Unplug the clock again. Okay. So, the inner voice of your inner person. Your conscience is when somebody tells you to do something and you get this feeling like there's something wrong with that. You have the authority of your conscience. You've got to listen to. When I never, the reason I, I never, I, I don't think I've ever said you're going to do this and that, never. 50 years of marriage, never once have I said, this is what you're going to do. If you don't like it, stick it in your ear. It doesn't work that way. Huh? John did it once? John. John. Bless you, brother. I'm glad you survived. <laughs> once. <laughs> and he's still paying the price. <laughs> okay, what was I talking about? The authority of your conscience. Okay, your conscience. Your conscience is the inner voice of right and wrong. Now, where do you get your inner voice about right and wrong? Somebody raise your hand. 
Answer me. Where do you get the inner voice of right and wrong? John. From your spirit? Okay. Where? The Word of God. When your spirit and God's Word, which is spirit, come together, you have a conscience. And your conscience tells you, Bob, don't do that. People say, well, well, I'm waiting for the Holy Spirit to tell me. The Holy Spirit speaks through your conscience. If the Holy Spirit told you and I what really needs to be said in some cases, we probably wouldn't survive it. What does he do? He uses your conscience. He nudges you and says, don't mess with that. See? And so the authority of conscience. Conscience is that inner voice. Romans 2.15, which show the work of the law written on their heart. In other words, you're thinking from your heart. You, you think from here. Look at me. Look at me. You don't think from here. If your brain is running the show, you're in trouble. Your brain doesn't run the show. Your heart runs the show. This is what tells you what's right and wrong. Your heart. That's your inner conscience. That's your inner being. That's, that's what was born again. That's your spirit, man. You are three parts, body, soul, and spirit. And you have that heart that heart voice. You know when you're about to do something and it's not right. You know it. You know you know it. Now, you may have trained yourself to not listen to your heart. Well, you listen, you hear it, but you don't obey it. You just shove it aside. It becomes a small voice. The biggest voice in our life. I've heard people say, I just want to hear God. I just want to hear, I just want to hear God. Listen to your heart. Listen to your heart. Yeah, because I'm going to tell you, the few times I've had an encounter with God, personal, I didn't see him, but I mean when he was right there, right there in the room. I, I'm, not, I'm not being vain when I say this. When God shows up, scare the hell out of you. I mean all that hellish stuff vacates. And now you hear a voice. So you understand that's the, the voice of the conscience. That's why it says the law of God is written on your heart. Okay? You okay with this? Get ready because we're going to go to some questions here in a minute. So Romans 3, uh, 13, 5. Wherefore you must needs be subject not only for wrath but also for conscience sake. Listen to your conscience. Okay? And Paul addressing the Christians to deal with the laws of man and Again, I'll go back to the fact Susan has to follow her conscience. And any time she says, this is what I am, she says to me, this is what I'm convinced, and I look at her and I realize she's convinced this is what she's supposed to do, the most important thing I can do is get out of her way. Because she's following her authority. And if I get in as a husband and go, wait a minute, I'm the charge here. Well, first of all, she kicked my tail and started taking names, okay. But, but, but you understand that the most important thing I can do is to not violate my authority is to not violate hers. Does that make sense? Okay. Last one. Can you take one more? Okay. Delegated authority. Is it I or E? Delegated. Okay, this is number four. Now, delegated authority is when somebody in authority gives you authority. Okay? Does that make sense? Uh, it, it's authority that comes from authority. So in other words, 
when it comes to our marriage, she is not under me. God didn't take Eve from Adam's tush. Right? Right here. Side by side. Okay? So in other words, we're walking together. So Hebrews 13, 17. Obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves. What does he mean? The word submit there is an important word. You look it up later, Poetic Concordance, to place yourself under. To place yourself under. So in other words, he's not saying submit to the people that are telling you to submit. No, you submit to the people that you put yourself under authority to. And it doesn't mean, in other words, it, uh, somebody's got to be in charge. Somebody's got, somebody's got to have, not, not talking about a marriage. To be in charge means somebody's got to be the one that is taking point for the decisions that are being made. So that means, for instance, my role is I'm a delegated authority in this church. The only authority I have is the first, what? One, two, three authorities. Now, man has delegated authority to me. You delegate authority to me by your authority giving me the right to speak into your life. But you don't submit to me. It's not your role to submit to me. It's not my place. I don't even want to tell you how you should live your life. Unless you come and sit down and say, hey, we're having trouble, and, we, you know, and, and so we're having trouble in our, our marriage, and we need something to work out, get something straight. Okay, what's my role? It's not how to tell you how to live your life. Tell you how God tells you to live your life. Does that make sense? Well, I think we're going to see leaders in America that have, that have uh, way exceeded their biblical authority. Okay? And I'm not thinking any names, so don't you think any names. But there's going to be a house cleaning in the body of Christ, getting us ready for this issue. So, uh, delegated authority, Hebrews 13, 17, obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves. The word submit, like I said, means yield to until they contradict Scripture. So in other words, somebody's got to be on the top of the pile. Somebody's got to say, somebody's got to have the vision, visionary. I'm a little bit over time, but let me, let me do this. In other words, I had the vision, I saw this building on this property, on property we, don't, we didn't even own at the time. We were on the opposite side of, of this property. And I saw and I had a vision. And I, I saw a clear picture of this building. I saw it. And so I went to the elders. And I said to the elders, I don't know if Brian was, was on the board at the time or not. I said to the elders, I have a vision. <laughs> I, and I saw, we're in this little dairy, we now call the children's building, and I saw this building and the, this, all this property. This was a field where uh, the Bernardins were raising sheep. And, and I just said, I, I saw this building on this, this property. And so they went away and prayed about it. And I said, this is what I think we're supposed to do. Now, where am I at when I say that to them? Anybody want to venture to guess? What is their authority? When I went to them and shared with them, I, 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 am, I am appealing to their conscience authority. 
I'm saying, what is God telling you? You go home, you find out what God's telling you to do, and if this is really God. Does that make sense? In other words, I didn't have the authority to go to the board any more than I have the authority to tell the existing board right now. This is what we're going to do, and if you don't like it, the existing board has the authority to say, nope, not going to happen. And it won't happen. And if I tell them we're supposed to do something because I'm the pastor, I just violated all this. Does that make sense? Okay. So I, you guys should get a blank look on your face, okay? So you understand it's delegated authority. That means there can be no submission. Get this. It's the key tonight. Then we're going to go to the question. There can be no authority. There's no authority without authority. There's no submission without submission. If, if a pastor says to people, submit to my authority, the people have the right to say, who's your authority and who do you submit to? And in everything that we're dealing with in our nation today, when the government comes to us and tells us, this is what you're going to do, and if you don't like it, we're going to change the economy, we're going to take this away from you, we're going to force you to do this, and this is what you're going to have to do. Excuse me, but uh, who's your authority? I'm sitting in a White House. And uh, I've got Congress and I've got the Senate with me. And you're going to do what we tell you. Well, you know what you can do? You can roll it. Then you can fold it. Then you can wrap it. And then you can stick it in your ear. Because you are not going to make us do what violates our conscience. And our conscience and our conscious authority comes from the Scriptures. And anything you tell us we have to do that's contrary to the Word of God, we don't have to do it. Well, we're going to throw you in jail. Do what you got to do, but I am not going to compromise my authority. And so I brought all this up tonight, and I'm sorry I'm five minutes over, but I brought all this up to say you have to get ready for what's coming down the pike. Because if they really push this the way they look like they're going to push this, if you, think, if you think they don't have plans on making the church look like the church in China, you ask the church in, in China about what her authority is. She doesn't have any. But you know what? You ask every missionary that goes to China, even today, goes to China and meets with the church in China will tell you the church in China is alive and well. It just doesn't meet in big buildings and have sound systems and media and all this kind of stuff. And they're living and thriving with power. So, in the process, I've done the best I can. I took a subject that takes two hours and I did it in 41 minutes. Okay? Yay, Bob! Your turn. Mic's open. Oh, God, here it comes. <laughs> he said the known. mic was open, and I know Ryan would turn me on. He's my friend. Just really quick, I just have a few things. Number one, next week we're talking on near-death experiences, and I'm going to bring a flyer for what you mentioned about um, women and marriage and men. And it's a one-page. It goes through the Greek because people do not understand this topic as it is translated into from Greek to English. So tomorrow, next Sunday, I'll have a flyer for you on that. Also, I, I wrote these out as, as you were talking because I was either this or interrupt you as you went. But just so you'll know with the COVID thing, we did not go against what the government said to be 
um, gnarly about it. We really, I mean, we have some board members here. Um, Brian was on the board at the time. John and, and Gay are on it now and Larry. But at the time, we met and we said, we really believe if we're really in a pandemic, we want to be part of the solution, not part of the problem. So we're not just going to be mean about it and stay open for that we better have a good reason and so we said we'll close down to cooperate so everybody can stay healthy a few weeks into it realizing that abortion clinics and liquor stores and marijuana dispensaries and and walmart and target were still open but we were supposed to be closed we thought you know there's something fishy going on here an abortion clinic or a liquor store is essential and a church isn't and so we met as a board, and we decided that um, if they arrested Bob, we would pay his bail <clears throat> and get him out, but we were going to open back up. And so, yes, we got a lot of flack from it, and here we are three years later, and they're coming out with all the other information that most of us knew three years ago. So we're happy we did it. It was really hard. We took a hit for it, um, but we, that's why we did it. We just, we didn't, I don't want you to think that, oh, well, they just thought they were better than knowing what's going on there was reason there they had other ulterior motives which look at canada and they're still having a hard time there okay the other thing is this i had interesting talk this week actually someone texted me about political something and and you know why can't we be more cooperative with the government and i wrote her back and i said listen the bible says you render under caesar what's caesar's and i said i will render under caesar what's caesar but when caesar wants what is gods and they want me to turn that over that's what i'm going to balk at it so when caesar tries to close down the churches when caesar wants me to pay for things like abortions that i think are wrong i'm going to balk at it because caesar isn't always good so i'll give caesar the money and he'll tax me for things that i don't think i should be taxed or assessed or feed or fined for and he uses it for bad things but they will stand before god someday and give an account for how they're using our money, which is not always good because I do not support abortions, but my money is going towards that, and that's not good. Um, And also, just so you know, Paul is the most incredible guy, and he wrote later on in the book of Acts, he said, I've been called to turn people from the power of darkness to light and from the the power of Satan to God and darkness to light. I mean, he just had the most amazing call in his life after God, you know, changed his heart, and I think we should all take a note on that. And one last thing. A lot of people don't realize this, but we are not a democracy. And 80% of the people who talk about government will say, we're a democracy, so blah, 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 blah. We are a constitutional republic. And that, real quick, is the game changer. Because, as Bob said, who is, who is, who, who is Biden accountable to? He's accountable to the Constitution, which is the head of our government. And it works like this. The best example I can give you is this. So here we are. We're right here, and we're going to split the congregation in half. And we're going to make you guys a democracy. And we're going to make you guys a constitutional republic. So everything's going along okay. But you guys, boo, you get together and you go, we're going to put a vote up to the people that everybody who has black hair or dark hair, brown hair, cannot own property. And so you vote on it. And guess what? Everybody votes, yes, we do not want them owning property. So anybody with brown or dark hair can no longer own property. That's a democracy. And too bad if you have dark hair because you just lost your property. But it was voted on. That's a democracy. Over here, one of you guys bring that up. Hey, we want to vote that anybody with brown hair can no longer own property. And one of you with brown hair goes, wait, we're under a constitution, and we have constitutional rights. And the constitution says you can't do that. 
That's why whenever you're watching the news and there's a big fight over the Constitution, they want to bring that baby down because that is what gives us freedom and our rights. And that's what they are walking all over. That's now, that, that, this is your Constitution. Okay? Makes sense? All right. Mic's open. We have 15 minutes, so go for it. <laughs> All right, so. Let me see if it's turned on. Let me turn it on. Trickery. Hello. Okay. <clears throat> so, speaking of authority, uh, through Christ's blood, we have authority over demons, demonic activity, evil spirits, right. Satan, right. yada, yada, yada. So I was talking to you this morning. Um, I've been reading some books on deliverance ministry, and it was talking about when you get saved, every time a Christian gets saved, they should also be delivered as well. Well, deliverance, it all depends on what you define deliverance. Deliverance can be from a habit, or deliverance can be from a pattern in your life, or it can be from a demonic entity. Now, there's a lot of controversy about whether a Christian, you know, people ask me all the time, can a Christian have a demon? And my response is, why would they want one? Okay? But you can have demonic influence in your life even though you're a, a believer. Okay? So your spirit is born again. Now, remember, you are a three-part being. Okay? You have a body... You have a soul, and then you have a spirit. This is born again. This is what lives for eternity. Your body, thank God, is going away. And everybody said, amen. Okay, and now your, your soul, which is your conscience, and that's right here, number three. And it also attaches itself right here to number two and number one, okay? So now you have a body, you have a soul, and then you have a spirit. Here's what happens. Your soul is your conscience, okay? Um, it's the part of you uh, that makes your decisions. It's the part of you that lives according to the Word. Your spirit is either born again or it's not. If it's not born again, your spirit is under the spirit of this world. And you do what the spirit of this world says because the core of your life as a believer or a non-believer is run by the spirit. Make sense? Everything is ruled by the spiritual world. Now, your conscience is the part of you, is the way you think, and your habits and the things that you do. So when you're born again, you're born again here, but your conscience isn't born again. Okay? Your conscience doesn't get born again any more than your body does because your conscience is the seat of your will. God doesn't, he will not violate your will. For the remainder of your life, from birth to death, you will have a will and God will never violate it. So when you're born again, that means your spirit brings life to your conscience through this. Are you with me? So in other words, this 
is what takes the born-again spirit, the Holy Ghost, brings life into the Word, and the Word gives authority to your conscience. Now, your decisions are made by your choices in the Word. But now, you've come to Jesus, and you were involved in the occult, maybe, or you were involved in drugs, or sexual perversion, or deviancy, whatever the case is. And what happens is, when you're born again, you're born again, but your conscience is born again. You bring into your born-again relationship all of your experiences, all your hurts, all your pains, all your sorrows, all your griefs. And so now, even though you're born again, you go to church and you're reading your Bible, you still have to deal with this because your conscience is the seat of your will. It's where you make your choices. And your will is now influenced by everything you've learned from the day you were born. And so what happens is you have wounds, you get involved. Let's, give, let's do a crazy example for the sake of time. Let's say before you're born again, you got involved in the occult. And you got involved in satanic rituals, satanic rites, or into a cult, a cult organization, which is obviously as demonic as satanic ritual. It's just false. It's a false religion. You got involved in some kind of deviancy, or you got involved in something, or maybe as a child, when you were growing up, Maybe you were molested, hurt, wounded by a situation and circumstance. So what happens is you come into your born-again relationship and you have all these lumpy spots in your life. And those hurts and those pains, evil attaches itself to those hurts and those pains. And you have remembrances. You have things that happened to you in the past. And those are pains, those are griefs, those are sorrows. So now you're born again. But now why is it some people, after they're born again, they still have a rage? They still, they, they just can't have a breakthrough in their brain. Or they have a propensity to be alcoholic or a drug user or involved in sexual perversion or whatever the case is. When you were born again, your conscience wasn't born again. It has to be cleansed has to be cleaned. You are clean through the word, Jesus said, that I have spoken unto you. So now what happens? So now you have these hurts. What do I do with my marker? You have these hurts and you have these wounds and you've got evil over here going, okay, Bob got saved. He's now born again. He's on my bad list. I can't get to him. I can't affect his eternity, but I can affect his life. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to reach into Bob's past in his conscience, and what I'm going to do is I'm going to reach into his past, and I'm going to manipulate him through the things of this world. You all know what a marionette is. It's a puppet. So what happens, we come to Jesus, and we come, and we're born again, and we're starting our walk with Jesus, and then we have these propensities, these crazy things that we do, stupid things we do, and we have these problems in our life, and we want to get free from them. It's called deliverance. We want to be delivered from them. Because what happens is the devil says, Bob's starting to make some progress. So I'm going to reach out, and I'm this place where i got a hook in his past, where he has a, bit, a bitterness, a hate. Maybe he was, you know, I wasn't molested, but maybe I was molested. Okay? And I can't get away from sexual deviancy or my desire to, you know, sex outside of marriage or some kind of perversion. 
And what he does, he's like a master marionette, a puppet master. And he pulls that string. And then he reaches over here and then he pulls this string. Then he pulls this string. And he's constantly keeping me off balance. And just about the time I start making some progress, he yanks another string. And the only way you can get free is when you recognize, you come to a place where you recognize in your life, you have a problem that it's not, it, you can't break it. You can't break it. What you need is a deliverance. You need someone who could come in and say, we're done with this. And what happens, give you a classic example. Uh, 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 someone who has a bitterness about something that happened to them in the past, and they can't, and Susan and I were just talking about this. Remember we were talking about that couple this morning that wanted, couldn't, can't get free because they won't, they won't, this, this person won't let go. They go to the church. They will not let go. They, the, someone did something with their spouse decades ago, 40 years ago. And to this day, that person is sick and infirmed and can barely function because they won't let it go. They won't say, I free that person. I'm no longer going to be angry. I'm no longer going to be bitter. I want somebody to pray for me. Get somebody who will pray for me, who will break this chain in my life. And I want to repent, and I'm going to apologize, and I'm going to say, I forgive that person. I lose them. I'm not going to live that way anymore. And all of a sudden, it'll turn. Like flipping a light switch. All of a sudden, what's been bothering you? How many people, how many Christians die of infirmities? Not all now, not every infirmity is. Die with infirmities that are connected to these issues of something that happened in your past and you haven't let it go. You haven't let it go. I know, I, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm really occupying this and I know we got another question here, but when I came to Jesus, I came out of a broken marriage. I came out of a marriage where I caught my spouse with my best friend. And I had to get delivered because I, the people who raised me up as, as a Christian, they, they taught me, they said, if you don't get free of this, God help the woman you ever marry again because you're so full of bitterness, and you'll take that into your marriage. I am persuaded to this day. I believe with everything in my body, God allowed me to marry Susan because I let God deal with that because I don't think he would have let her go through what I would have put. Does it, am I making any sense? So uh, if you understand it, that's what we're talking about. Things happened to us in the past. If something's bothering you, Find a believer. Find someone on the church staff here. Find one of us, one of the intercessors. We'll pray for you. When I have people come over all the time, I look at people and, uh, you know, I won't, I won't. So many times I get a word of knowledge or a word of wisdom. I'll look at somebody and go, this is what's going on in your life. And if you'll deal with it, man, you're going on. You're moving up. And if you come to the place where you realize that, man, you can understand now all this authority makes sense because what the enemy's over here trying to do as long as he has this connection the minute you start submitting to these, he's going to jump on you with both feet because he wants to keep you distracted. Did that make sense? I just want to, real quick, Greg, um, you might remember one of the edge classes we taught on demon possession. Mm -hmm. And if a non-believer has a demon, it's called demon possession. If a believer has a demon, we call it demonized. 
if a, if a Christian can have a cold, a Christian can have a demon. And one of the best examples I can give you real quick is you left your house tonight and you came here and you left the window open in the back. It's your house. You own the deed to the house. You have the pink slip. And while you were there, a thief gets in. Well, he's in your house. Now, did you invite him in? Nope. Is he there? Yep. Is he leaving? He doesn't want to leave. <laughs> Until you say, you get out of my house, I'm bringing the authorities in, he's going to stay in your house. So when you talk about the authority we have with the blood, absolutely. And what Bob said is you take authority over that. You have somebody agree with you in authority, like, get out of my house. You can't stay here. So a, a lot of Christians have demons. They're, they're, they're not just hanging around. They're, they're in them like a cold. They're there legally but they're going to stay till you take authority and boot them out. But let me give a classic example of my life. I grew up in a family that used tobacco. My father smoked giant cigars, chewed mail pouch, that's the old-fashioned shredded tobacco, under his tongue while he was smoking a cigar. And he would smoke the cigar down to the nub. He'd rub the ashes off and chew the cigar. Is there any wonder why I, to this day, love tobacco? But I won't. Why? Because I know I will make that connection again. Will I go to heaven because I, uh, will I go to hell because I smoke? Huh? What? No. No, I I don't. Obviously, I don't smoke. Even though right now I would. Am I, did I make any sense? In other words, you break the addiction, you break the cycle because you understand what that thing does to you and it prevents you from your authority over here. And I can't tell you how many people I prayed for that have a tobacco addiction that got delivered. And I really have compassion on them. So, next question. Did I kind of do that for you? That was a long answer and I'm almost out of time. Go ahead. Okay, so... Um my questions are always for clarity for me. Um, so, uh, voracious authority. Voracious. Voracious, okay. Voracious uh, is... Uh, yeah, yeah, I know. Well, it can <laughs> be voracious, too. Okay. Right. And I know, we know that's truth. So, I always put it for, for me so I can walk through it. So, it's hard to get the truth. Well, it was a couple of years ago. Maybe it's coming out better now. So the truth is, for me, is I want the truth, but I don't want the news. So I try to... to you, what's the news? So the news to me is like media. Oh, okay. So media, you get get your news, but they're telling you the news, but not the truth. So then I can't make a right decision or have the truth So for my Holy Spirit. So, and then it drops down to delegated authority... For me, that would be like voting or so I could make a wise choice. I know. And then so if I can't do that, are we just going back to our conscious authority? Well, back to our Holy Spirit. Do this. You have to differentiate the difference between truth and fact. It's hard to do that with. Well, no, it's not hard to do that. Well, understand this is the truth. The facts are what actually happened. Right. Okay. So if you understand what actually happened, that's the fact. But the truth that's how you live. Agreed. So but, you don't live by the. You but don't what live if you're by not getting happened. the truth? You what? The truth. Well, okay. The truth facts. You're getting news, but you're not getting the the actual facts. Right. So it's hard to make a fact, decision. What if the facts are not 
not really facts. They're yeah. fake facts. Well, I, so you go there, back to your Holy Spirit, your when, conscience. When people tell me something that I'm supposed to embrace as a fact, I, I, I say, okay, I, I embrace that fact on their character because I don't know if it's true or not. Does that make sense? I wasn't there. I don't have the cup and the T-shirt, okay? So I, I base what they say on their character. So I've had people all the time come up to me and say, this is what's going on in my life, and uh, these are the facts, okay? Well, I don't know that. I have to take them verbatim. Hey, uh, I don't live by facts. I live by faith. Reagan used to say, it was a good saying, it's not a Bible verse, trust but verify. There you go. Reggie. I just wanted, uh, can you give me, uh, give us clarification on Ephesians 5, 23 through 24? Quote it. <laughs> uh, it, it it's Here, the first, it's I'll do it. Yeah. Ephesians. I just want your clarification, so, for an understanding of what it's saying. Oops, my Bible's coming apart. 5, 22? 5.22-24. Wives, submit yourselves to, unto your husbands as unto the Lord, for the husband is head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Submit yourself. Are you saying that a, 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 he's saying that a woman should submit uh, uh, no, to... I'm, no, 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 I'm asking you. Okay. Because it, I've already stated my fact. Okay. This Submi- is a- submission is yielding to and relationship with. Okay. okay. But it's not a matter of now the husband says you have to do this. Okay, no, I understand that. Okay, it goes on to say that man is the head like Christ yeah. is the head. So right. I'm just trying to get of, in terms of responsibility. Okay, okay, that's what okay. That's what the man is the, I, I'm responsible for the family. I'm responsible to oversee the family, not to protect it. I'm the protector of the family. I protect my wife. I protect my children. That's a man's role. That's instinctive of a man. Women, by nature, nurture. That's what they do. Men, by nature, guard and protect. Beyond that, that would be my response. Okay, so now how does that translate into, because like you told me, and as a, as a husband and as a father, my first ministry is the house. I'm yeah. a priest of the family. So how does that correlate? Okay, Susan was going to come. Let me just say this. Honestly, I have the most amazing sheet on this because it loses so much from the Greek to the English. And there's no Bible verse that says the husband is priest of the home. It isn't there. there. We are all called to be kings and priests. So I am a priest in my home. So is Bob. And, And so we just have different functions and different roles. So I'm more of a mom. He's more of a dad. We don't walk on each other now. Listen, he never wanted to change diapers. I changed most of the diapers in our house. So it's just, it's a matter of function. So I'm just going to say, this probably isn't a good topic for tonight since it's not politics, but let me bring a sheet next week. Come back. This will probably answer every question you have because it yeah. gives you the translation of all the really gnarly words in this. Can I just, one, one thing on that? Um, I listened to a pastor. He said that uh, the man is the leader of the household. Um, that's coming from lead as in to measure where right. the standard Right. We're supposed to be setting the standard in the household, and I think that's what Ephesians is talking about. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And I think it's, it's so hard because how many marriages suffer because 
the man takes on a role that doesn't belong to him. And he never really fits the way he could with his wife. He never really, not saying he doesn't, doesn't love his wife, not saying he's not committed and all that kind of, I'm just saying, what would be the potential if the man understood that you don't have to feel threatened by your wife's authority? That when your wife's authority is allowed to blossom, the two become one. And now you move forward, and the enemy knows if he takes one of you on, he takes both of you on. Does that make sense? When the enemy took her on with cancer, I was in it to win it. I became Mr. Mom. Oh, Mr., you know, Mr. Wife. <laughs> I'm the cream of wheat king, okay? <laughs> but I mean, brothers, in terms of house, dishes, laundry, everything, I served my wife. And that was, that was crucial to God because she was spending her time saying to cancer, you don't run my life. I don't submit to you. I submit to God. Does that make sense? Man, when we do that, you, as, as a marriage, the two of you get together and you fight like that against the darkness of the world, you'll win every, every battle you go after, okay? Anybody else? We got... I want to take one more question, if anybody has anything else. Going once, going twice, going three times. Do this. It's because we're not on the topic, but I have to just tell you something that really bugs me. And it's, I think Uh-oh. it's, yeah. No, I think it's a natural pushback to what Reggie brought up to, yeah. this, to this question. But if you've noticed on TV, there's a brand new commercial out for, um, it's an insurance company. And the man is taking fishing lessons off the, off the boat. And he comes home, and the wife like, what are you doing? And he goes, you told me to get a pro, and he's taking fishing lessons. Yeah. And she goes, I didn't see you, big dummy. I didn't say that kind of pro. I went, or Orkin. It's for Orkin, the bug guy. Oh, yeah. I, you needed a bug. And so and I, every time I see that, I go, you know, you never would see that in reverse. You would never see a, a, a man coming home going, what are you doing? Well, I, you said to get a pro. I got a gardening pro. You stupid wife. I say, you know. But there's, there's so much pushback on the part of the sexes here commercial after commercial puts down men. I, I'm getting tired of it because I love my husband. We're equal in our home, but this is the pushback that women are doing right now. It's like we're going to put them down because they have tried to put us in our place when there is no place. You know. So if you, next time you see it, I hope it bugs you too because it's, it's not a good commercial. Yeah. Good for you know, working, but gonna, bad for I'm them. I'm going to throw this in. This is free gratis, and I know we're a little bit over time, but I want to say something to my brothers. Brothers, you are responsible for your wife. You're going to stand before God, and you're first going to answer to God for what you did with your life. Then you're going to answer what you did with your wife. Did you free her? Did you elevate her? Did you, did you promote her? Did you allow her to excel? Did you spend your life caring for her and providing for her? Um, with you, with work, with everything in your life. Brothers, I do believe if there's anything sexist about the kingdom of God, it will be how you and I, brothers, are going to answer to God for how we handled our mate. I believe that with every bone in my body. If there's anything racist in me, and not racist, but uh, sexist in me about um, 
Christianity, it would be, are gonna, we're, brothers, we're going to be held to a higher standard. And I'll tell you why. This is free. When, when Eve, when Lucifer went to Eve and said, did God really say you can't eat of that tree? And Eve went and took from the tree. Eve was not responsible. Adam was. Because Eve was created after Adam was given the instructions about the tree. And you and I, brothers, are going to be held to a higher standard. So why don't we man up, own up, and be the men we could be? That's a push for the men's event. If you haven't signed up, be sure you're there. Okay? All right? Can we pray? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and your faithfulness. We thank you that, that our authority comes from our surrender and submission to you, Heavenly Father. Lord Jesus, we submit to you the living word and Holy Spirit. You're the one that's inside of us, driving us into the future. Help us stand up against an evil human government, not just in America, but the world, and the system that seeks to squelch the church. I believe this final push, you're going to raise up a glorious people who are full of faith and full of confidence that will not be threatened by the world. We can't be bribed, controlled, or threatened. We will stand for the truth in Jesus' name. And everybody said, God bless you. Love you. Go home. You can't stay here. <laughs>